Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Better Way podcast, where we are on an adventure to find better ways to tackle various organizational challenges. I'm Zach Koselia, the founder of RNG Insights Lab, and I am joined, as always, by the one and only Hui Chen. Hi, Hui. Hi. Hi, everybody. It's good to be back, and we have yet another thrilling conversation to look forward to. We do. And who do we have with us today, Hui? We have our new colleague, David Yanofsky. We're so happy to have you here, David. We're so happy to have you in the lab. Uh, so we've been on this journey over the course of uh, the past few episodes, exploring various better ways. Uh, one of the better ways we explored was cultural psychology. One of the better ways that we've explored was the power of storytelling. David, what better way are you here to talk to us about today? to talk to you about data and knowing your data, finding the stories in your data and, and making sure that you're understanding that the results that you're getting can be measured. Mm, amazing. I'm guessing that everyone is going to be very excited to hear what you have to say. This is such a topic that is top of mind uh, for all of us and hopefully for, for a lot of our listeners. But before we even get into all of that, Let's get to know you a little bit better. So tell us a little bit more about your journey to the lab. I was a, a data journalist who was covering uh, business from all sorts of angles, from international trade and uh, immigration to uh, social networks and environmental issues, uh, greenhouse gas emissions. There's there was a Seemingly, when you're when you're in this business, there's an endless there's an endless amount of data that you can use to tell to tell stories and inform people about what's going on in the world. Yeah, so I did that. Uh, I did that at, at a publication called Quartz for the last ten years, and before that, I was at Bloomberg. A data journalist. Um, so I think something about the 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 evolution of the 21st century is that you have all of these new terms popping up so we never had data science certainly when i was going to college and now you have you're introducing this profession of data journalism tell us what that is and maybe a couple of the best stories most interesting stories you have worked on uh, as a data journalist well yeah data data journalists i guess i take that for granted because it has in the journalism industry, data journalism has been such a, a hot area um, for the last couple of years. And one of the sort of founding fathers of this of this work had a great term for this work, which was which was precision journalism. Anyone can can sort of relate to of, of wanting more precision in the thing in your work and not just not just going off of what people are telling you. Um, or what people are saying about things, but actually being able to measure um, using scientific methods and using um, data analysis. One of the last stories I worked on was about uh, lead emissions from private aircraft and uh, which airports in uh, the United States are the largest emitters of lead into the air around them. And we did that um, by looking at the flight patterns of millions of aircraft, hundreds of millions of aircraft at, the, at that, and looked at where they were flying and the altitudes that they were flying and the types of engines that they had. Um, and what it really comes down to is that there is still a tremendous amount of lead, lead, leaded fuel has been banned in cars um, around the world. There's no country on earth that allows leaded fuel in cars anymore, but we still let them in airplanes. And so we, we are aerosoling uh, lead into the air around airports and 
around the highest volume of, of um, lead emitting airports, the children around those airports have measurably higher amounts of uh, lead concentration in their blood. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, I've, I've done a story where we looked at, at photographs on Instagram and we were able to quantify the, the uh, skin colors of models that were being used by fashion and beauty brands um, to show which brands had a divert were showing a diverse uh, group of people in their in their marketing and advertising and which weren't and we also use that in the context of of the George Floyd protests because if you remember there was a there was a moment where a lot of companies and brands were posting on their Instagram pages black squares to show their solidarity with uh, with protesters or with racial justice in America uh, and and racial justice around the world. And we we specifically focused on those companies and showed which ones a year later were had shown a a greater uh, diversity in their in the talent that they were using on their Instagram and which had made no changes despite um, making this big public statement about it. That's amazing work. And I love this new term that you've just gifted us, which is precision journalism, because we talk yeah. a lot here about and, and in our work about. Uh, modern compliance, about data-driven, human-centered compliance, about data-driven, human-centered organizational culture, about data-driven, human-centered diversity, equity, and inclusion. I love precision compliance, precision culture, precision DEI. I mean, that is, right way, that's what we're all searching for, is that more precise way of actually looking at the impact that we're having and the work that we're doing. In fact, I don't know if you remember, Zach, years ago when I was still at DOJ, I, I rarely made social media posting then, but uh, one of my my first postings while still there was called Precision Matters. Mm. And it was addressing something that I saw in the compliance world that was a lack of precision in describing things, in describing our accomplishments and our goals. So I, you know, I get chills when... David started talking about precision journalism. Definitely. So David, I want to talk a little bit more about you before we dive into the work. Uh, yeah. You actually started out by studying art and graphic design. Um, yeah. and now your work is very much focused on data visualization. What drove that change? Tell us a little bit about that journey. Yeah, so I was an art kid in high school and, uh, and, and I, that, that, really pushed me towards being an art kid in college. I ended up studying graphic design because the program was so focused on information design. And that was a thing that that after taking all of my sort of like early classes and everything was that was a I, I started really liking the the ability to make sense of things while making it visual. When you know a lot of people think about about art and design as as making things look strange and making things look new and different. And um, the thing that got me into data visualization and data analysis was this idea that no, 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 you can use design and you can use visualization and and all of these and, and all of these artistic creative uh, skills and you can use it to make sense of the world and use it to help inform people. And I remember sitting at my desk in college and looking at one of the first, it might've been the first interactive election maps from the New York Times 
it was and it was made and it's made in flash this technology that isn't even supported by browsers anymore and it was and it was really rudimentary um but i remember looking at that and being like oh if only if only i could i could do that after school that would be amazing so david i i find it interesting that someone who started with an art background ended up doing something that makes sense of data yeah. because i say that because so many lawyers myself included feel like we're afraid of data was that intuitive to you when when you bridged that from the when when you're trying to make sense of data as opposed to an object of art my best subjects in elementary school and high school were always like math and sciences and and the art thing was the thing that i really enjoyed doing and and so this the melding of those two things came together i guess pretty naturally the thing that i will say about all that though and what you mentioned oh i'm not a data person i think we're all data people and 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 you know i try and associate with these people and i think the the team has a lot of these people on it and 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 all the people that i've interacted in my career so far have it is a desire to improve the world and we can improve the world by by helping people on the street we can improve the world by exposing uh, ills that are facing society and we can improve the world by by making companies and organizations be better and treat their workers better and and have better hiring practices so that so that we as a society have more equality and uh, more fairness everywhere and so whether or not you're coming coming out that with a skill of with data or design or or law or anything else just having the appreciation for that and having um all of those skills together i think is is you know what it's it's the reason why we all ended up together let's talk about compliance uh, yeah. what has been your impression thus far about the discipline that is compliance you know from, from the outside um, and especially from the from the journalistic lens, um, you're so used to seeing companies fail. And the reason why I would become familiar with a company and its compliance policies is because it failed. It's because I discovered or a colleague discovered or another publication or whatever revealed something that the company wasn't supposed to be doing and didn't have the right controls in place for and now to be on the other side of that and to see these companies that that are trying very hard to make sure that that doesn't happen it's a complete 180 right it is and it's and it's very interesting to see just how concerned and how seriously companies take their responsibility to not be bad to 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 comply to to um, live up to their ideals and to make sure that the systems are in place and that the trainings are in place and that their staff um, appreciate the behaviors that are necessary to, to continue to, to do good work in their, in their industry. What takeaways have you had so far around the ways that companies are using data or using visual storytelling to contribute to their compliance programs? as a data and visualization person, the thing that stuck out to me most is how many companies just wanna slap data into a dashboard or even worse, into a PowerPoint and call it a day. Mm -hmm. That, that oh, we, we track this thing, we made it a chart, 
and now it's slide seven. Amen. And, 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 there's, and there's not there's not so much interest as in in the sort of the storytelling through that data. There's certain expectations that that the people who are reading the data um, have the same appreciation for it that the person creating it does, which I think is usually a false assumption. There's a willingness to just use the pre-baked sort of visualization types or charting types or do what's easy basically to convey the information in a chart type that may not be ideal um, or may not actually be showing what the person who made it is trying to show um, or wishes it shown. And so the biggest takeaway is that there's huge opportunity for companies to improve the, just the communication around their programs um, through through visuals because the visuals that are showing up right now are so poor and are so I don't want to call them ill-conceived but they they have lots of room for improvement they just they just are not they're not uh, as communicative as as they ought to be and as they could be so talk to us a little bit more about your point of view of the human's role in all of yeah. this as distinguished from the computer's role. There is a contemporary understanding of, of computers and data and that that what what you just talked about, Zach, about automation is like what people think of. And they do think that, oh, we can we can automate everything away. We can, and and we did it. We did it with cars. You know, it used to take a hundred or two hundred people to build a car, and now it takes twenty-five. Whatever it is, right? We and we did that through industrialization and mechanization and computers and whatever. But the you're all you're really doing is moving the human intelligence down the supply chain. You at at the end of the day, you still need someone defining rules. You still need someone. You still need someone uh, creating policies. Like the the computer doesn't know on its own what is good and bad. We need we need people to tell computers how to figure out what is notable. And and, and once we do do that, we can we can automate some of these things, right? We can like circling a data point that's that is uh, a deviation from the mean. Two deviations from the mean is like not a hard problem to solve, but telling a decision maker what to do about that is a hard problem to solve for a computer. But a human, a person who's looking at this data every day, um, who is looking at these reports that might be automatically generated and then digs in a little deeper um, and real and sees, sees the issue or sees the reason why it's not an issue and can annotate this, this automatically created report with their their lived experience of this thing, their prior knowledge of how the world works is is never going to go away. And so it really is about combining what humans are good at with what computers are good at. And um, computers are good at doing millions of operations very quickly. And humans are good at identifying patterns and understanding processes. Uh, and understanding behaviors and making determinations. And so it's all about creating systems that take administrative and sort of busy work burdens off of people 
so that they have more brain capacity and they have more time to do the things that they are really good at, which is think mm. and and infer and deduce and use the computers and use the automated analysis to help them do that, to flag the things that are interesting or 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 worrisome without having to go through the tedium of doing it themselves. What you're talking about is so spot on. So things like which data sets should be should we look at? That's a human decision. The computer yeah. goes and collects those data sets and it can run the kind of analysis you want it to run. But deciding how many data sets and which data sets come into the data pool, data lake, whatever it's called, <laughs> is a human decision. Also, getting the insights out of it and even more importantly, making decisions based on those insights. Those are distinctly human. Yeah, I mean, the whole field of data science is based on science and science starts with a hypothesis. Your computer is not coming up with your hypothesis. You need people to say, oh, we have this data. We have a way of, of understanding things from it. What do we want to know? Yeah, And a, and, computer, can, a computer can't tell you. And that. what are we going to do with it once we learn what we have learned? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wanna kind of take us a little bit in the opposite direction for just a moment mm -hmm. uh, because of your background. We talk a lot at the lab about thinking like a scientist, as you just point out, data science is a science. We start with a hypothesis, but there is this other component to what you do that's thinking like an artist. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit more about that. What does it mean to think like an artist in this context? And why do you think that is also important to effective uh, data storytelling and precision compliance <laughs> using data? Well, creativity is extremely important. In terms of communicating information to people, there is no singular best way. And so you are trying to create a sort of rhythm and a sort of cadence towards, towards the display and uh, communication of information through whatever venue that it's happening. So, and, and you see that, you see this in all art forms, right? You don't, you don't walk into a playhouse and expect to have one note of a performance going the whole time, right? You have, you, it, it might be a three act play. And the, and, and the first one is bringing you, the first act is bringing you up. The second act is, is giving you some conflict, conflict. And the third act is bringing you back down and resolving the whole thing. And that is the same when it comes to communicating any sort of information. You need to bring people in, you need to give them information to think about, and then you need to help them resolve it. And that is that is art everywhere it happens. When I think about the artistry of it, it's not just about the aesthetics. It, and it is very much about understanding the systems in which humans consume information and their sort of emotional response to the ways in which it can be presented. There are different ways of interacting. There are different ways of designing. There are different ways of presenting that all um, are going to affect how uh, effectively someone is going to be able to take what you're telling them and turn it into something that is useful to them. Okay. So now, David, you have brought us in. You have given us a lot of information. Now, 
help us resolve it. Um, what are the takeaway thoughts that you would have for our audience from having listened to this episode? This work often comes with, we've measured something and now we need to say something about it. And I'm in this unique position or somewhat unique position where I get to also measure how good I was at doing that. I think everyone benefits from this to be able to actually clearly assess the efficacy of the ways in which you're doing things um, and using that information to improve and to iterate and to continually find and optimize um, towards better um, ways of working is key to, to finding success. There was something that you just said that I just thought was so insightful uh, that also intersects with a conversation David, you and I were having. So Huey, David and I were talking the other day in the context of a client project, and we were looking at the ways in which data was being presented, uh, not just for one client, but for many clients. And David asked more or less something like, why is it that it's always presented uh, in in like eight and a half by 11 landscape? Why is it always presented like it's a PowerPoint slide? Why is it that we can't scroll down or go this way or that? Like, why is it always the same shape? And what you just said that I just thought was so insightful in, in giving me inspiration from outside of our space is it's like no matter what the play is, no matter what the show is, no matter what the performance is, the, the stage is going to be configured the same way no matter what. And that's what we see so much in, in, in our work. It's the conflation of the idea of analytics and visual storytelling with the word dashboard. And it's the reductiveness of confining ourselves to a PowerPoint when there very well may be more effective ways to communicate our message. What you just said made me, made me realize this, that even a, even a black box theater, there are hundreds of black box theaters around the country, yeah. none of them the same. Exactly. And there's an, an, there's nothing to them and they are all unique. And and the way in which we see these PowerPoints come in is as if every black box theater has the same size stage, has the same audience configuration, has the, has the same lighting, and that we can just walk into any space and do the same thing unchanged always. Yes. All right. So we're running out of time. Uh, we could literally talk for hours more and we will in future episodes. So David, you will very yeah. much be welcome back. Uh, but now it's time to actually get to know you even better. Everything we do, we try to make it a little human centered, including the Better Way podcast. So you are now the human at the center. And we have some questions for you, standard questions that we ask everyone. This is our Proust questionnaire. It's inspired by Bernard Pivot and James Lipton from inside the Actors Studio. So you can answer one of the following two questions. If you could wake up tomorrow having gained any one ability or quality, what would it be? Or you can answer, is there a quality about yourself that you're currently working to improve? If so, what? I wish I could be on time for everything. That is pretty, I, I just have to say, that's a variation on a theme of what mine was and what I think at least one or two other people's has been. <laughs> mine was the, mine was actually the ability to manipulate time, mm. which would enable you to in fact be on time for everything. Yeah. So next question, who is your favorite mentor or who do you wish you could be mentored by? I've been, I've, I've been extremely lucky in my career to have lots of mentors. 
there've been various points in my career where I've ended up in sort of weird groups at companies that are about to be axed and I need to find my way out of it. And, and, and I've had lots of good guidance from people around who are just being nice. You know, there's nothing to gain by helping me keep my job or, or um, helping me learn a new skill. All right. This is the last pair. So this question is what is the best place you have ever worked or what's the best job paid or unpaid that you've ever had? I'll answer this two ways. I mean, but best job I was at, I was at courts for 10 years because, and most of that time I was like, I, why would I go anywhere else? This is the best job I could ever have. And it, and it truly was the, 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 the work that I was doing, the freedom I had to do it, the respect I had for my colleagues, the respect I had from the industry. I couldn't want anything more than, than that. But in terms of like job perks and everything else, I, I worked at Fenway Park for like five years and I got to go to every game for free that any game that I wanted to, I could just walk in with my badge and, and, and I got discounts on gear as like a high school summer job, college summer job, that was that was that was very fun. That's a, that's a great answer. I love that. Yeah. That's great. Okay, next one is what is the best team you have ever worked with? I keep on bringing up courts. I was there for ten years. It was my last job. It's very front of mind. I was a founding member of that newsroom, and we started a publication from nothing. And that is an experience that I can, will just never escape me. And the, the, the 25 people that were in this like little, like 1500 square foot Soho loft that like putting together this website and putting and, and, and literally changing the news business. Um, was a was an extremely special group of people to be um, a part of, not only for that work that we were doing, but because so many of the people came from organizations where they had problems with management, with culture, with legacy issues, with politics. And one of the founding principles of that brought everyone together was we can do this better. And we can do this in a better way um and wow. and create policies and, yeah, and create policies and 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 a culture that people actually want to be a part of instead of um uh, a culture that people um are willing to put up with um until they move on to their next thing i love that all right so the next questions are all sort of more rapid paced mm -hmm. uh the first is what's your favorite thing to do since the pandemic, I've been baking a lot of bread that led me into a whole rabbit hole of like trying to make a whole sandwich from scratch. So I made a Reuben from scratch. So that's like, that's baking the bread, making the sauerkraut, making the corned beef. And I also made pastrami too. Um, I didn't make the cheese, mm. <laughs> um, but I did, I did mix my own thousand island. Um, and so project cooking is a thing that I, that I really like these like sort of multi-day lots of component types of things um i'm also a runner and i and i um and i do enjoy running and it is a it's like a key part of my like mental and physical health is to is to to get out the door and move a little quicker you have to run off all that food you make you, you yeah. and i need to, and megan need to do something together with cooking and compliance we keep talking about it but we're all food lovers. So uh, next question is, 
What is your favorite place? My favorite city in the world is Berlin. And I've been back a number of times and it is just such a vibrant city. It's such a, um, the, the extremely complicated history of it. Um, and, uh, is, is endlessly fascinating and is, uh, and has yielded even a physical landscape that is, um, I think unique to, uh, almost anywhere else I've ever been. What makes you proud? Seeing people that I care about succeed. Going from the deep to the mundane, what email sign off do you use most frequently? Bests, plural, which some people have lots of issues with, but but it's it's mine. We need to do a whole podcast about that, David, <laughs> or maybe we should just have a one-on-one -on -one about that. I have a lot to say about that. I really do. What trend in your field is most overrated? Oh, I don't know, Tableau. Mm. Like, um, the way people use Tableau. Yeah. Last question. What word would you use to describe your day so far? Communicative. Hmm. Had a lot of had a lot of meetings and phone calls today. Um, been with been with a lot of folks on the team, checking in with people, responding to emails via phone call. A lot of a lot of different different ways of communicating today. Instant messages. Zoom, communicative. That is a wrap. David, thank you so much. And we look forward to having you back. And thank you all for tuning in to the Better Way podcast and exploring all of these better ways with us. For more information about this or anything else that's happening with RNG Insights Lab, please visit our website at www.ropesgray.com slash RG Insights Lab. You can also subscribe to the series wherever you regularly listen to podcasts, including on Apple, Google, and Spotify. And if you have thoughts about what we talked about today, the work the lab does, or just have ideas for better ways we should explore, please don't hesitate to reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening. Oh.